How are you all doing? Good, 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 good. That's nice to hear. Well, as Neil said, my name is Steve Blummer. I'm the pastor of family and adults here at Hope Chapel, and it's great to be able to speak a few times in the year. And it's really not because I'm itching to say something. I'm begging Pastor Neil, please, please, please let me say it. In fact, I, I enjoy coming here and listening to him speak, and he's not in here, but he heard it first service. It's not a way for me to kiss up or anything like that. It's really true. Um, the preaching of God's Word is one of the things that got in my family to be a part of Hope Chapel long before God ever put us on, on staff here. And uh, so it's really great to be able to walk away hearing something new, hearing something fresh, being challenged, something that I need to think about, something that I need to pray about. And that isn't as common as you would imagine. I grew up in church my entire life. Uh, I went to nine years of Bible college and seminary. I have a Master's of Divinity degree. I've been in vocational ministry for the last 10 years. And I don't say that to boast. I just said, say it because I've heard a few sermons and messages and Bible teachings in my life. And some of you are older than me, and you're like, I've got you beat. I've heard way many more. So uh, I've tried to calculate that out. I think it's about 8,000 different messages and sermons and Bible teachings that I've heard. So you've probably heard quite a few too. And so you understand what it's like to be able to, to walk away with something new and fresh from God's Word. So I want to thank Pastor Neil and and I thanked him early in the first service for just being faithful to his calling to preach God's word week after week after week. So, We are in the middle of a series right now. We just finished up a series called Key Choices to a Great Life. And probably in the Christmas Advent season comes along, we'll be in a series then. But for this week and probably for the next couple weeks, we'll be in some standalone random messages, it may seem like. So as the pastor of families, I decided that uh, we would hear the same story that the kids are learning down in Kids Connect. Why not, right? Well, the kids down there have, since the beginning of September, have been learning how uh, the Israelites have come out of Egypt. They're heading towards the Promised Land. They had received the Ten Commandments from God, and these were principles for life on how to love God and how to love their neighbors. And uh, they made some wrong moves, some sinful moves along the way. They created this golden calf because they couldn't wait on God and Moses to talk, and they ended up not being able to enter into the promised land because they doubted God's ability to really see them through all their difficulties. That's what the kids are learning. Those are the life lessons the kids are learning. Those are some great life lessons for us as adults, too. And hopefully you as parents who have little ones down there, you're taking the sheets. This is one of the sheets actually from today. Mikey, one of my sons, ran by, stuffed it in my pocket, and ran off. So, but you hope you're taking these papers and you're reading them and you're talking to your kids about what they're learning and so that you could challenge them during the week and how to apply the Bible stories to their life. And so this, today, they're going to be learning about how Joshua sent spies into the promised land. Now, some of the details and applications for us are going to be a little bit different than for them, and that's a good thing because we want them to hear stories that are often kid-appropriate. And so... Some of the things are censored and, and excluded from what they were here. As we jump into the story today, you'll hear what we mean and appreciate that we do that. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Joshua chapter 2. We're just going to jump right into it. If you're using one of the Bibles of the chairs in front of you, this is page on 179. Joshua chapter 2. We're going to read through the entire chapter, and then I'll talk about a few things that stood out to me from my study of the story. Would you follow along with me? Joshua chapter 2. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from Acacia Grove, saying, 
Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of a woman, a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, Yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as they left to pursue them, the gate was shut. Before the men fell asleep, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that dread of you has fallen on us, and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings, you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them, and save us from death. The men answered her, We will give our lives for yours. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she led them down by a rope through a window, since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. Go into the hill country, that the men pursuing you won't find you, she said to them. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return. Afterwards, go on your way. The men said to her, We will be free from this oath you made us swear, unless, when we enter the land, you tie the scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, mother, brothers, and all your father's family into your house. If anyone goes out of the doors of your house, his blood will be on his own head and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, his blood will be on our heads. And if you report our mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear. Let it be as you say, she replied, and she sent them away. After they had gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. So the two men went into the hill country and stayed there three days until the pursuers had returned. They searched all along the way but did not find them. Then the men returned, came down from the hill country, and crossed the Jordan. They went to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported everything that had happened to them. They told Joshua, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicking because of us. Now, there's a lot of things going on here, a lot of different ways we can go. I'm just going to share a few connections for us today. To give you a little background before we got up to this point, Joshua is now the new leader over the nation of Israel following Moses. You may have heard of Moses, great leader, but he was pretty much a great leader only because God made him a great leader. Moses didn't even want to be the leader. He he found excuse after excuse about why he shouldn't be the leader of the nation of Israel. But God said, no, I've chosen you to rescue my people out of slavery, out of Egypt. So Moses, uh, under God's great work, uh, led the people out of Egypt towards the promised land. And as they got close to the promised land, God had Moses send 12 spies, one from each tribe, into the promised land to spy it out. 
Now, one of the 12 spies was Joshua. So the 12 spies were in the land for about 40 days. They returned, and they talked about how the land was flowing with milk and honey. It was a great place to live. There was these massive cluster of grapes that two men would have to hold on a pole to carry them out. It was going to be a great place to conquer. It was going to be better than the desert that they were living in, for sure. But there was also these giants, these mighty men, that they were going to have to defeat in order to take possession of the land. And 10 out of the 12 spies, because of these giants, were afraid to move forward. They gave negative assessments. We shouldn't be doing this. Only two of the spies said, we recognize the difficulties that lay ahead, but God has told us to. And because God is trustworthy enough, that's enough for me, and we need to move forward. And those two guys were Joshua and Caleb. Well, what happened around this point was it's about the 10th or 11th time that the nation of Israel were complaining and whining and murmuring about what was happening. They had left Egypt, but along the way, things had happened. They, they were these bumps and hurdles, and they didn't have things to eat, or they didn't have drink or water, and they were complaining all the time. And God saw them through every one of those times. But every time they came to a hurdle, they whined and complained and murmured. And God said, that's enough. I've had it. And so anybody over the age of 20 who was able to fight was not allowed to enter into the promised land. They had to wander in the wilderness for the next 40 years, one year for each day that they scoped out the land. So as we get to Joshua chapter 2, Joshua is now the new leader. Moses, he died. All the older generations had, had passed away, and the nation of Israel is ready to take hold of the land that God wants to give them. So as we get into the story, I like to ask the question that a lot of kids like to ask. Why? 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 For me, I was like, well, why Jericho? Why two spies? Well, Jericho was really a great place to, to stay. It was a great city. It was close to the Jordan River, so the land around it was very fertile. Things grow very nicely around there. It, it was a place of commerce for people all over the region would come to there, and they would sell goods. It was a great place to be, and it rarely rains there. And so during winter, it was about 60 degrees. During the summer, it doesn't get much higher than 90 degrees, and the air is dry. So it's like having a house in Florida, but without extreme heat and without the humidity. And the area was probably very rich. A lot of riches were there. Rich people were there because it was a great destination to go because of its tropical appeal. We, we see in the New Testament that Jesus visited this city, and he met a, a rich man that we know by the name of Zacchaeus. You may know the story of Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see Jesus, and we make some funny ha-ha short people jokes, right? And, uh, but this guy was rich. And God went to his house, he accepted Jesus Christ, and he said, anybody that I ripped off, I want to give back four times as much. He had a lot of riches. So that was Jericho. This was a great place to conquer. And Joshua was a great strategist. He chose Jericho probably for a good reason. He would say, this would be the first city that we're going to go into. And when we conquer Jericho, it's going to be a great morale booster to the people. We're going to say, this is what the land is like. Let's move forward. Let's conquer it. And so it, he chose Jericho for a specific reason. But why did he send two spies? Why only two? Was it because he remembered that 10 out of the 12 spies gave a negative assessment and only two gave positive, and he wanted only positive reports, so he chose two people just to come back and say, 
yeah, Joshua, let's go for it. He just got two yes men. I don't think that was the reason. Maybe Joshua did remember that because of the 10 spies that were, had negative reports, there was family and friends who couldn't go into the promised land. And he didn't want people to kind of influence what he already knew God had laid on his heart. I mean, Joshua was the commander of the armies under Moses. He knew exactly what the nation of Israel could do. And because he had spied out the land, he knew exactly what the enemy could do. So maybe he didn't even need anybody to go check it out, but he'd sit too long, two people along just to, to appease the family, to appease the nation. I don't think that's why he sent them in either. I think he sent two because he understood that in the pre-planning stages, it's, it's better when there's a smaller group involved. I don't think Joshua didn't appreciate other people's opinions. I don't think he appreciated other people's criticism. I think Joshua understood that uh, the more that you go along in the process, that's when it's better to have more people come aboard. The nation knew exactly what they were going to do. He wasn't trying to hide anything from them. They knew what they were going to do, but he just didn't want to have everybody involved in figuring out how they were going to accomplish this. My dad always said that uh, you can't make everyone happy. And the moment that you try to make everybody happy, you can ruin something that's good. Sometimes God speaks to us and he tells us there's something he wants us to do. And maybe that's choosing to adopt a child or maybe that's choosing to start up a company. Maybe that's choosing to use your vacation to go on a mission trip or be a part of the youth camp or retreats. Or, or maybe that's to scale back the family spending so that you have more to give to God and more to give to his kingdom. And you have some margin in your life to where you can help those who are in need when they need it. Because all those things God is calling us to do. But perhaps you take what God has laid in your heart and you begin to tell other people about it. And then suddenly you feel like you're under attack. People have all these multiple opinions about how you should do something or how you shouldn't do something. Maybe there's a little bit of pushback because it doesn't just affect you, it affects them, and they don't like where that's going to lead. My wife and I, we had several people, including our family, some of our family members tell us how we shouldn't take on our latest two foster kids because our life is going to be busier, there's going to be more stress. And honestly, how can someone who works in retail and someone who's a pastor in a church support a family of six people? You just shouldn't do that. So my wife and I, we had to take a weekend retreat and just get away and just, just listen to God alone. Because if we had listened to the crowd or even to our own personal comfort with us, uh, we may miss out on what God wants to do in our lives. And that's not to say that we shouldn't talk to people because there are people that we should talk to that will help us discern whether we're hearing from God or whether we're doing something out of some selfish motive. But I think that as we talk to people, we shouldn't be saying, should I do this? We should be saying, how can I make this happen? Now, as you and a few other people are scouting out what God has laid on your heart, I think God will make it real and, and will show you that you are heading in the right direction. I think it's kind of like buying a car. You're out to buy a car. You don't know what kind of car to buy. You're thinking, maybe I should get a, a Ford or a Chevy. I don't know. So you start looking around, and you start noticing, hey, there's a lot of Fords on the road. They're all old and beat up and rusty and my friend's Ford is in the garage and so on and so on. But then you start looking around and you're like, I don't even see any Chevys on the road anymore. Does that company still exist? And, but what, all of a sudden you begin to notice, you know what I do see a lot on the road? Hondas, Toyotas. That's what I see. And so as you're scoping things out, God may say, have you ever thought about this other way of doing things? 
So as the spies went into the city, they had confirmation that God was with them during their expedition. The spies went into the city, and it didn't take long for the people to notice that they were there. And as spies, I doubt they walked in saying, don't mind us. We're just two spies from the nation of Israel. In about one week, you're all going to be dead, but don't mind us. We're just here. I doubt they did that. But there was something about what they said, how they dressed, something about their language that seemed to give them away. And their reputation brought fear to the people of Jericho because they knew that God was with them. Word had got out that this little group of people were already being used by God. If you want to know whether God is in something big, we need to be faithful to God in the little things that were in the wilderness. Be faithful to where you're at with God right now, today, this week, next week, next month, year after year after year. And then God will confirm that you've been heading in the right direction all along. Because there'll be something about the way you talk, something about what you do, something about your, your way of life that will confirm that you are ready to take hold of what God has been preparing you to take hold of. You've been practicing for these weeks and months and years, and God's saying, now you're ready. It's game time. Now, of course, we know that the, the path isn't going to be smooth and, and the light on that path isn't going to be bright. I mean, the Israelites, 40 years later, had, they had seen God do amazing things, yet they still complained and whined and murmured along the way, and they missed out on what God really wanted to give them. When the th big thing came along, they weren't ready to handle it. They weren't ready for what God wanted them to experience. But now, thankfully, Joshua and the nation of Israel, they're ready. And God says, it's go time. We're going to take into the land. And what's really encouraging, if you read Joshua chapter 1, you have God telling Joshua, be bold and courageous, for I am with you. And you have the nation of Israel saying to Joshua, Joshua, we want you to be bold. We want you to be courageous as you lead us. And I think us as a church, we ought to be going to Pastor Neil. We ought to be going to the elders. We ought to be telling them, we want you to be bold. We want you to be courageous as you lead us to where God is laying on us for what we need to do in the future. We ought to be going to Pastor Ken. We ought to be going to Bethany DeTolo down in the kids area. We ought to be going to the key leader of men's ministry and women's ministry and even the facilities team and the missions committee team and saying, we want you to be bold. We want you to to be risky. We want you to be courageous because we want to advance God's kingdom beyond where we are at now. We need to be faithful with what we have right now, but let us think about what God wants to use us in the future. Well, there's obviously another big portion of this story and involves a key person by the name of Rahab. Rahab the prostitute. To me, it's interesting how she got involved in the story in the first place. I mean, what in the world were these two guys doing at the house of prostitute on this expedition? Hopefully, they weren't taking advantage of this business trip like some of our government officials do in the Secret Service when they're away. But these two guys went to the house of a prostitute. Why were they there? Well, I think the text supports that they were not there because she was a prostitute. They weren't there because of her strategic location. We read in the text that her house was built in the side of the wall, and they were able to escape uh, the city there uh, because of where her house was located. But it's believed that houses like that in the day were like hotels and inns. They would 
it would be places for people to go. And you remember, Jericho was a place of commerce. People were coming from all over the place. And these merchants would come, and they would need a place to stay for a night or two. So they would go to these hotels and inns. It would kind of be like in the wild, wild west. As you were traveling west, there would be these places to stay. And some of these places were owned by women who wanted to take advantage of the merchants while they were there, and they would provide certain types of room service, we would say. So these hotels and brothels were not separate locations, so to speak. So they went there because it was a key location. There were these people coming from all over the place, and they would perhaps learn a little bit about the entire region as people were gathering at this hotel. And it's probably how Rahab heard about the nation of Israel. These people were coming, and wow. We've heard about this nation of Israel and what they're doing. So it's perhaps how she learned about the nation of Israel. So they went in there to kind of blend into the culture as two merchants being in the area, and they kind of could mix into the culture. But it could be perhaps what made them stand out. There were these two guys, two merchants, staying at this hotel, and they didn't want to have anything to do with the women there. Let me just think about that. How fast would that get around? There's two guys staying in room 24, and they don't want anything that we have to offer. They're the only ones in this entire hotel that doesn't want to have what we have to offer. I mean, word got around really fast, and that may have caught Rahab's attention. I've got to go figure out what these guys are all about. And so when she meets them, she recognizes these two guys are from the nation of Israel that I've been hearing about. And so she decides to hide them from the city officials, and then she wants to jump on board with God's plan. She knew that God was going to give them this land, and she wanted to be a part of that. Well, some of us can look at Rahab and say, well, what you really wanted to do is you wanted to spare your life. You wanted the people not to destroy you. Sometimes when tragedy and hard times come in our lives, people are drawn to God. And that's great because there's these circumstances in our life that are very pivotal. They can push us towards God or they can push us away from God. And sometimes we wonder, well, how deep is their devotion to God? Are they here just to get out of the bad situation and the moment it gets better, we'll never see them? Or does Rahab have this sincere love for God and really want to be a part of God's plan? Well, the Bible and tradition seems to support that Rahab really made an honest decision of faith to follow God. The Jewish commentaries say that the scarlet cord that she hung on the window was a symbol of repentance, just like the blood on the doorpost that the Israelites had to do during the last plague of Egypt. If you remember the story, they had to put blood on doorposts, and then the Spirit of God, if they would see the blood on the doorpost, would pass over that house and save them from the last plague. And so this was similar to that, and that it would identify her with the same uh, people of God who put blood on the doorpost. Rahab is mentioned three times in the New Testament. She mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 as the mother of Boaz, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David, and on and on until we get to King Jesus. She's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the hall of fame of faith. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, By faith Rahab the prostitute received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who obeyed. She made a small, small step of faith, and she's recognized as someone who made a big step of faith. James mentions her as someone who had faith and took an opportunity to show her faith by her works. 
in James chapter 2, verse 25. Wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? She wasn't just someone who said, I believe in God and didn't do anything about it. She took a step of faith to change her life. And the actions she took, it doesn't seem like it's life-altering. We, we kind of hope that it says that Rahab gave up her business of prostitution, but it doesn't say that. Tradition seems to support that she gave it up. She wouldn't have had much time because in about a week, the nation of Israel was coming to destroy everything. But what stuck, sticks out to me about Rahab and her faith is that no matter what your life is like, no matter where you are at, there's always a chance for you to follow God. It's never too late. You've never done too bad. You're never too far from God to follow God. Rahab wasn't living the greatest life, as you can imagine, but it was in a moment where she had heard about God and she had met these people where she wanted to be on God's team. She wanted to be a part of God's life. So she made this small step towards obeying God. She remained true to her commitment, and she even went out and gathered her family to be with her. I think that's another important aspect to note, that when you have an encounter with God, you want your family to be a part of it. And we see this over and over here at Hope Chapel. We see wives coming and praying that one day their husbands would come to know Jesus Christ. And we have husbands coming and praying for their wives that one day they would follow God. We have parents coming and grandparents coming and praying for their children and their grandchildren that one day they would understand who God is. And we even have children and young people coming and praying for their parents to one day learn about Jesus. Some of you write in the prayer request week after week after week, pray for this person, pray for this person, pray for this person. And some of you here are those answered prayers of someone praying for you year after year after year. So don't give up. Keep praying for them. And go to them and share with them your story about how you made a decision to, to follow God and, and how being in God's kingdom is so much better. You know, they may not hear your words, but they will definitely hear your actions. And they may not stop thinking about how you were before you accepted Christ. What's interesting is Rahab in the New Testament is still known as Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. You may be known as a horrible father. You may have been known as the nagging wife. You may have been known as the drug-addicted teen. But I pray that you would be known as the horrible father who now by faith believes in Christ. That you're a, a nagging wife, but by faith you have changed your life. You're a drug-addicted teen, but by faith you have found a better way of living by faith. And with that, I want to encourage us, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, to, to go to places and go to people who don't act like Christ because they don't know Christ. For some reason, we expect people to behave a certain way so they can belong. We don't want people to behave a certain way here at Hope Chapel. We want people to believe a certain way at Hope Chapel, and that's to believe in Jesus Christ. And so I think it's great to have people who aren't followers of Jesus, who are unbelievers here in our services, because I hope that one day in one of the messages or one of the conversations that you have with people in the lobby, they would understand what you are for, not what you are against. They would understand that God loves them, and they can accept 
the same God that you have accepted, that gift of salvation. God added to the church daily in the early days, and I don't think that would have happened if there weren't people who had never heard about Jesus hearing the message of Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with God, I want to tell you that you can do that right now. You've sinned. You know you have. We know you have because we're sinners. We've sinned. We still sin. But you need to understand that your sin separates you from God. It separates you from his kingdom. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be permanent. Your life can be with God, and you can enjoy all the spiritual blessings that all of us have because we have accepted his gift of salvation. By faith, Rahab just trusted in obeying God, taking the small step of faith. And by faith, you could trust that Jesus Christ, who was God, who is God, came down from heaven and died on the cross for your sins. By faith, you can accept that gift. The Bible says, if whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. And perhaps right now, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. And I ask that you would not ignore his knocking. Listen to him knocking. So the challenge for us today is to be persistent in seeking how God would advance God's name and how we can advance his kingdom in this world. Let's not be scared to go to places that seem scary or to people who seem really far from God and we don't know how to interact with them. Let's be bold and courageous to go to those places and to go to those people. Those who haven't accepted Jesus Christ, I urge you that by faith you would trust in God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these stories as examples uh, for us to follow. And God, we could just be like the nation of Israel that whined and complained and murmured and we miss out on what you have planned for our lives. Don't let us be like that nation. Let us be like the nation under Joshua who was excited about seeing what you had in store. Let us pray about how we could be bold and courageous, perhaps to talk to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, to our coworkers, about what you have done in our lives. God, let us pray for those in key leadership positions here at Hope Chapel that they would be bold and courageous as we seek to tell more and more people about your love. God, I pray if there's any, anyone here who has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, that that they would hear the prompting of your Holy Spirit right now, that they would understand that they are a sinner, but they would understand that you love them, that you died on the cross for their sins, and that right now by faith they can say, I know that I'm a sinner and I trust that Jesus Christ really did die on the cross for my sins, and I want to accept that by faith. We may not have all the answers to everything, to all the questions we have, but by faith I'm just making a step forward. God, we thank you for being involved in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.